a great final song. So we're we're we've been in a season over August of uh, that we've called Summer Songs for the Soul, um, in the hope that we've uh, been able to to encourage you in your heart and your soul, and to remind you of some of the good things that God is doing uh, even behind the scenes a lot of the time and some of the great things that he's done, picking out some of these songs of celebration and rejoicing of um, also of lament and, and, and disappointment sometimes, but the reality that the scripture gives us of, of our capacity to sing a song from our heart and be heard by a God who cares for us. Uh, so this is the final one and my, my intention this morning uh, as much to focus on this final song that we've just heard that they sang at the end of days is to um, inspire us again about some of the great things that God has done and is doing, even in the midst of all that's going on at the moment. So uh, that's the intention this morning. Hopefully I can do something to encourage your heart and your soul today. But I wonder, have you ever had one of those situations where... Um, it just comes out of the blue and it takes you completely by surprise. Uh, if you ever had something like that, or maybe you had plans that, you know, there's an element of risk in them and everything seemed to be heading in the right direction until suddenly something comes along through a spanner in the works completely. Uh, like, duh, I hear you say, Meg. Um, what, like a global pandemic, you mean? Uh, yeah, we've all had one of those. Um, Kind of messed up everyone's plans, that one, didn't it? Um, but what about those situations that are the other way round, where everything seemed to be going to pot, and there appeared to be no way out of the situation, and all hope was on the point of seeming lost, and then something changes in a moment, and it turns the whole situation to good, and the despair and the hopelessness turns to relief and joy in the twinkling of an eye. Andrew Wallace spoke to us brilliantly last week uh, about just such a situation from the Song of Moses. And being as it kind of references this song that I want to talk about this morning, I just want us to think again a little bit about that situation that the Israelites faced, where they've just escaped captivity and they're about to taste freedom for the first time in generations. And then Pharaoh has a change of heart and his army comes out in pursuit. And they've got the Israelites hemmed in against the Red Sea. And panic and blame sets in amongst the people. And they're ready to lynch Moses for putting them in a worse situation than the one they just escaped. And there's no way out. And then God does this incredible miracle. The sea opens up and the escape route becomes clear. And the whole nation crosses by a path that wasn't there the day before. And they're out of the woods. Or in this case out of the desert anyway and then victory is assured as the waters close back over their enemy and the whole threat's eliminated in a tidal wave of victory and all of that fear turns to relief and the trembling turns to rejoicing and the song of celebration soars I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted the horse and rider he's hurled into the sea and it goes on to declare the greatness of God's strength, his salvation, his majesty, and sing into the future of a certainty that all of God's enemies are going to flee before them as a people. And how the land of Canaan won't stand a hope as their God leads them on to the land he's promised them. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? 
majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. What a turnaround. From thinking it would have been better to die in captivity to excitedly celebrating the realisation that God can do anything on their behalf and looking forward to the challenges ahead in the knowledge that the future's all in his hands. But I wonder who could blame them for the way that they felt in that moment on the shores of the sea. There was no way out for them, or so they thought. It was back to captivity or death where they stood. They were facing a hopeless situation without any life experience of what it means to be called as the people of God. And it's kind of easy for us with the benefit of hindsight and the end of the chapter in view to think, wow, these guys should have just had more faith. But I'd like to suggest that actually most of us are often no different. And when we face challenges or difficulties we've never encountered before, It can be hard to believe that God can make a way where there simply is no way and that it can be easy to admit defeat, to surrender, to step back into bondage to fear and to let the enemy drag us off. So I want us to think for a few moments this morning about all that God's done and to remind us of all the things he's brought his people through. I want us to think about how utterly awesome he is. And I want us to think about how far-reaching and all-encompassing his plans and purposes are. And about how nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth can ever stand in his way or oppose him or defeat him. And how, whatever our current circumstances might look like to us, there's a hope and a future for all those he holds in his hands. You know, there's no situation that you face that God cannot make a way through. And nothing in your life that's beyond his redemptive capability. Let me say that again. There is nothing in your life that is beyond God's redemptive capability. So just for a moment now, I want you to think about those times where God has met you and worked in you and worked for you and brought about a change that couldn't have happened without him. So what I'd like you to do for a minute, first of all, is just think about your pre-Christian life. I know that might be difficult for some of you. I know that some of you were brought up in Christian homes and that uh, you met the Lord at a very early age. Uh, You gave your lives to God early on and you've grown uh, in your knowledge and love of him. But hopefully some of what I'm saying will still apply to you. And at at the very least, you might understand somebody else's Christian journey. I want you to think just a little bit about what you were like before. What was life like before Jesus? And what's changed? Now, I've wrestled with this one about, about whether I should include something of my own story in this one because it's not necessarily something I'm really proud of and I don't want to make it sound like I rejoice in my past because of my present. But I think actually as we think about ourselves and what's gone on, a lot of us look at ourselves and we we focus on the negative. We focus on the negative that was in our lives or we focus on the negative that is in our lives. Rather lean into the positive uh, of where we're at now. And when I Look back at my pre-Christian self, I often marvel about how God ever was mindful of me or thought about me. 
at all. How could he love me and seek me out? Now, I was 20 when I became a Christian. Um, and I spent most of my teenage years drunk every weekend um, uh, and playing punk rock in dodgy venues. A friend of my dad's once famously wrote me off as he's a nice enough lad, but he drinks too much. Without wishing to make it sound like more than it was, I rode in a motorcycle club. I carried weapons everywhere I went and I was quite happy to fight you um, if the situation called for it. I could tell you more, but honestly, safe enough to say I was a bit of a mess through my teenage years and I was not happy. And then Jesus found me and my life changed so much that people I hadn't seen for a while almost didn't recognise me. A close friend of mine once described it as it's like Mick died and someone else took his body. And some years later, a girl who'd known me from my bumming around college days came to church uh, that I was part of and leant over incredulously to ask somebody, is that Mick Partridge leading worship? But don't get me wrong, I still mess up plenty. Um, if you ever need to know um, that Mick is not a saint, just talk to my family, they'll fill you in. But if, like me, you've known something of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit at work in you, you can know that even those faults and failings that we seem powerless to change in ourselves, God can change in us as we allow him to work. And here's the really important bit. If we know he can change even those things within us that we can't do anything about, those bits of our character and nature that we seem powerless to change, how much more can he work in the situations that we face around us, bringing his good purposes out of them? You see, changing somebody's heart from the inside is a far more complicated thing than changing the circumstance from the outside. And if God can do the former, he can certainly do the latter. And the more we see and experience God at work, the more that hope and faith arise in us that he's done it before, he can do it again, just like happened with those Israelites. They saw him rescue them and they had a hope that the thing that he promised and the land that he was leading them to, he could make a way for them. We can push forward celebrating not only the trials that we've just overcome, but anticipating the victory and the struggles we've yet to face. And so the more we see what God can do, the easier it is to believe that even in this new situation that I face, God will make a way through. And the more I remind myself of my experience and that of others that I've spoken to about his redemptive power at work, both in and around me, the more that faith will rise that he can do it again. Our God is a God who was and is and will be yesterday, today, and always, ever the same. His power is never diminished, it never runs out, it's never lost or lessened. He's still able to do everything, and even more than all we could ask or imagine. The great thing for us in the 20th, 21st century, sorry, uh, we don't have to rely just on our own personal experience of his work in us, because we've got easy access to the whole of scripture, to use and to remind us of all the great and marvellous things that God has done throughout the ages. And even more than that, we have in Scripture a fantastic, if sometimes slightly confusing view 
of what his future plan is for his people to look into. I think it was Tony Campolo who famously once said, you know, I've read the end of the book. We win, guys. So we've got this way of looking forward into all that God's going to do through the revelation and the promises and prophecies that he's given, as well as looking at the here and now and looking backwards. I'm often aware that we live in a privileged time where we've got access to scripture in a way that some of the saints that went before us haven't got. And a certainty in the end of the story before we even get there. So many of other generations of saints before us faced death and persecution in the faith of all that would come good, but without the comfort of having God's promises written down in his word as a companion. And the book of Hebrews commends all those heroes of faith uh, as those that saw God's future salvation and believed, even though they never got to see it come to pass. And that should be something that inspires us whenever we face trials and challenges. The worst situation that we face in life, even if like some of those heroes of old, it leads to death. As the book says, some of them even were sawn in two. And yet still it's not the end of the story. There will be a day when God's wisdom is made manifest to all. And his perfect plan for redemption of creation is fulfilled. And whatever you're facing, it's not over until he says it is. So I want to just spend a couple of minutes now in the song that we heard in the reading earlier. And my hope here is just to encourage you in your faith and in the circumstances that you may feel particularly you're facing um, during this, this really confusing, unusual never before experienced pandemic time. So last week's song is the song of Moses, we're told. And this week's song, and our final one in this short series, is the song of Moses and the Lamb. And it's fitting that we close the series with this song as it comes right at the end of all things in the book of Revelation that we've got. When the saints sing this song in celebration and it points us forward into hope and a future when all kinds of trials and struggles finally come to an end. There is going to be that day where there is no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more mourning, no more struggle, no more wrestle with the things that we face now. When God brings all things together under one head, even Christ. And it's a song that, that reminds us of and looks back to that song of Moses and the victory that God um, arranged for his people, crafted for his people, enabled for his people in that deliverance in the first exodus. So both songs are sung by people that God has chosen who followed him out of captivity and for those of us that have given our lives to Christ, that's exactly what we've done. We haven't just come to a Jesus to give him our problems and have him help us carry our baggage of our lives. Uh, we've come to someone who cuts us free of the baggage and encourages us to walk out into freedom with him. So if you're struggling with things at the moment and you're looking for Jesus to help you, let me just encourage you, there may be a different way to pray about some of your problems, that rather than just asking for Jesus' help, 
ask him to take on your burdens. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. Cast all your cares on him, because he cares for you, the scripture teaches us. So maybe come to Jesus and imagine what life might be like if he could actually cut away those cares and problems, those wrestles and regrets that you carry. What would it be like to step out in freedom from those things for you? And the second comparison I want to make is this, that both songs take place beside the sea. The first, an earthly sea, and the second, a heavenly one made of glass mixed with fire. And there's all kinds of imagery in there that we could talk about. But it's safe to say that in the Bible, the sea is often used to symbolize chaos or opposition or resistance to the things of God and his people. And God parted that to make a way. And in Jesus, we find that we have this way across the great chasm, the great divide that separated us from God. We're told Jesus has made a way. Jesus has made a way through all of the trouble and circumstances and difficulty of this life back into the presence of God for us. The third thing is this, that both the songs of victory, of deliverance for God's people from his enemies. Firstly, at the start of an earthly deliverance from slavery, but secondly, at the final defeat of all of the enemies of God and the ultimate deliverance of his people, even from death. Jesus disarmed the powers of darkness, Colossians 2.15 says. It's a reminder that his death has stripped them of their authority over us and completely released us from the threat of them. What's the worst that can happen when even death doesn't thwart the plans of God for his people? And the next thing is that both of these songs are songs of praise for all that God has done and all that he is, with the latter expressing at a deeper level God's eternal victory over his enemies and those of his people. The battle belongs to the Lord, as we heard in one of our other summer songs. And the victory in the final battle is assured. Let faith rise, people. At the end of all things, God wins. But the last thing I want to say in comparison of these two songs is that both songs are preceded by the sacrifice and the shedding of blood of a lamb. The protection and the covering of the blood on the doorposts and lintels of the Hebrew houses foreshadows the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross that assures us of the forgiveness of our sins and it rescues us from the dominion of darkness. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us, Psalms 103 says. And if it's God who justifies us, who can condemn us? Romans 8. And so if the blood of Jesus has freed us from the consequences of all sin, how much more is it able to release us into all of the victory and the hope and the future in his presence that we have? How much bigger is the victory that Jesus has won than the one of victory over the Egyptians. How further reaching is his deliverance than just from our present circumstances? And how much more complete is that eternal salvation that he's won for us? 
Let me read you a few verses just from Romans 8, because it kind of captures this whole thing. And let's think about this as we read God's word. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who whose God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who, then, is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for we, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered to be sheep, as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now that is a song worth singing. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty, both songs echo. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Which deeds? All of them. All deeds. If you need to raise faith through a situation you're facing, consider the deeds of God. I'm just going to do a little whistle-stop tour through some of the deeds of God. So from the foundation of the earth to the forming of the first man and woman, from the rescue of Noah and his family to the dispersion of the nations at the Tower of Abel, from the calling of Abraham and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, from the wrestle with Jacob as he tried to flee Esau, to Joseph becoming governor, all things God was deeply involved in. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. And from Jacob's family entering Egypt to the Hebrews becoming a great nation, from the birth of Moses to the exodus from the Red Sea, from the journey through the desert to the crossing of the Jordan, from the conquest of Canaan to the provision of the judges, from the calling of a Samuel to the selection and rejection of Saul as a king, and the anointing of a man after God's own heart in David, and the building of the temple under Solomon with God's presence in a cloud. All things that God was deeply involved in, great and marvellous, are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. And then from warnings to be faithful in the split of a kingdom to the judgment on Jerusalem and exile and captivity and the promise of redemption and the return to rebuilding and for prophets he sent and warnings he gave and for hope and for future. And for Elijah and Elisha and Jonah and Amos and Micah, Hosea and Joel and Jonah and Isaiah and Nahum and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Daniel and Haggai and Malachi and all the times. He spoke and acted in and through his prophets to his people. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty.
and then, for a promise fulfilled, and prophecies confirmed, and the birth of his son, and the miracles displayed, and for sacrifice made, and for victory declared, and the spirit given, and salvation made possible, and the birth of the church, and the assurance of resurrection, and the defeat of darkness, and the victory of his majesty, and the redemption of all things. Great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. And if all of these are the works of God, how much more is he able to graciously help you in all of your needs? All of your needs. So whatever you're facing, whatever trials and tribulations come your way, whatever your personal struggles in the current situation, whatever is happening around you with family and friends, whatever your loved ones are going through, you have a God on your side who loves you beyond measure, who has had you in mind since before the foundation of the world, who knew you and knows everything that you think and every word that's on your lips even before you say it, and whose ear is attentive to your cry and to the song that you sing in his presence. And who will answer and who will act on your behalf? Let's pray together. Lord God, great and marvellous are your deeds when we consider how you have worked across the ages and will continue to work into the end of this age and beyond. Lord, we declare great and marvellous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Father, when we can uh, concerned and, and Lord look at our circumstances the situations we face and feel overwhelmed by them remind us Lord of all that you have done remind us that we serve and worship one who is more than able to overcome everything that stands against us and every situation that we face remind us Lord that you have worked even where your people have not noticed that you were at work and you are still doing the same today. Lord, where there seems to be no way, help us to believe that we are not forgotten, we are still heard and seen, that your ear is still attentive to our prayer and your mind, your focus, your purpose is still fixed on us. So Lord, here we are, your people, take us, use us, help us, Lord, to see that you are far beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine and that you are able and on our side. Amen.